The Athletic. This is the best club in the world. Don't care what other people do. I told the boys, so we have to try to um, obviously cut off the two goals and, um, and, and build on the, on the good stuff. But that means you have to play football again, and that's what we didn't do. 14 points off the pace now, surely out of the title equation. Liverpool still can't find the answers to turn their form around. Too many familiar mistakes were in their heads at the Emirates, and Jürgen's got a humongous job on his hands. That plus a huge blow on the injury front for Diaz and Arter. But we'll try and look on the bright side as we reflect on seven years of the boss at the helm. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of the articles on Liverpool and everything on the site. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod, there's a special price right now of a pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall, joined by Simon Hughes and writer Chris McLaughlin after an absorbing game at Arsenal, which of course ended in defeat. So much to pick out of this one, uh, Si. It reaffirms all our fears of where the team is at at the moment. Just how big is the job that Jürgen has on his hands? Yeah, I've been trying to compare it to two seasons ago when obviously Liverpool had well-documented problems defensively and you know the season un- unravelled quite quickly. And it's clearly... That there are differences between now and then in terms of you know the players are two years older. Obviously, they started the season with a with an injury crisis, but they haven't been able to work themselves out of that in terms of the confidence. The big problem that they have is is that the teams that are supposed to be competing with at the top of the league, I think, are better than they were two seasons ago. Arsenal really seem to have the bit between the teeth at the moment. I mean, I don't think I don't actually think Arsenal plays sort of the, the expansive football that maybe I expected last night. I thought they actually played in a more creative way in the in the League Cup semi-final at home at the Emirates last season and created a lot more chances. But the, the Arsenal performance reminded me a bit of like sort of Liverpool in sort of the year two, three, four under, under Klopp when they realised how big a game that was and they had to really grind it. And they were just, they, I just think the difference between the two teams was, was how quick Arsenal were to the ball in dangerous situations, both in attack and defensively. Whereas Liverpool, I thought, were a bit pedestrian at times, despite having a lot of possession in the first half. And I, I would say they played they played well in the first half, bar the, <laughs> the first minute and the last minute. The nature of the second goal was just uh, inexcusable, as far as I'm concerned. So to, I think when that sort of thing happens late on in, in, in a half, it does suggest that there's some sort of... Mental weakness almost. It felt like the, the players switched off to to the dangers. You know, you don't you don't you don't try and go and get a second goal when Arsenal are quite dangerous on the counter attack and leaving yourself exposed at the back. It just it just seemed to be like did nobody stop and think what was going on there? That you'd include the manager in that. I mean, I think he said after after the game that he, he wasn't quick enough to, to point out what was going on in front of them. I know Liverpool recovered after that and, and, and scored again, but the second half performance after the injury to Diaz just didn't have the same thrust. So I know there's quite a lot to digest from what I've just said, but, but I, I do think there's a massive challenge to get in the Champions League this season. The game for me was quite a, a definitive point, Chris. I'm still up to this point in the season, still sort of hanging on to hope that maybe we could turn the corner. That result yesterday and elements of the performance sort of reaffirm things, probably like smack you around the head as to where this team are actually at. 
Yeah, it has a little bit, but then at the same time, Liverpool have only lost two league games and one was at the team who were top of the league and who were clearly upwardly mobile and mm. the other one was at Manchester United, which traditionally is our hardest away game of the season. So, personally, I think the away form in general is an issue. If you look at the, the display Naples in the in the Champions League and there's an argument that potentially we go too attacking in these away games against these big teams who've got counter-attacking players, fast players. You look at the, the Georgian kid who's brilliant for Napoli. You look at the Arsenal players yesterday. You look at some of the pace Man United had when we lost there with, with Rashford and co. And maybe Liverpool are still trying to play in, in the same way that they, they used to and, and they have been. But at a time when you've got key players who aren't in the best form of their careers, clearly, you've got to shut up shop a bit and... You know, over the years, as Liverpool supporters will have seen under you know the management going back as far as Paisley to to Fagan to to Kenny to Rafa to Julia, sometimes you've just got to take it on the chin and not have possession of the ball for a while and almost try and get back to your your own counter attacking style and shut up shop a little bit in these away games. I mean, you know, if you get a draw at Arsenal, a draw at Man United, all right, it's not a win, but it's better than than losing. And then you play a more expansive and a more attractive attacking style of football at Anfield. Now, obviously, things aren't perfect at Anfield at the moment either, as we saw in the way we defended in the Brighton game. But then at the same time, we're still unbeaten at Anfield. We won the two Champions League games there, put nine past Bournemouth, got the job done against Newcastle in the end. So I think I almost think you can split it a little bit in terms of I'm more concerned about our away form than our form in general. Bit of positivity coming in from Chris. That's what we need. Liverpool's season has been blighted by the way they've conceded those early goals or first goals. And here they were again, Si, what, 57, 58 seconds in with Martinelli's finish. And the stat that stands out massively, Liverpool have gone 1-0 down in 10 of the last 12 games. It is incredible when you think, you know, that includes... uh... You know the back end of last season as well when they were they were obviously going for the big trophies. But when you think about like the reputation that the Liverpool have developed under Jurgen Klopp, it was always about fast starts and and trying to get on top of the opponents early. You know I, I do think that there is a pattern here that it seems to me that opponents now there isn't the fear about Liverpool that they used to be. You know they're prepared to go after them at certain times in the game. You know we've seen. Players going one on one with Virgil Van Dijk, that that sort of level of fear seems to have not be an issue for, for a lot of teams now. I think they, they think that if they they have a bit of a go at Liverpool, they might get something at, at certain points in the game. They can't do that for, throughout the ninety minutes, but at the right times, it, it's it's seeming like that it's proven hard for Liverpool to resist that. I mean, I was reading there that I think I think it's the the worst start in the league since the the 2012-13 season under Brendan Rodgers' first season in charge when, you know, they lost quite a lot of games early on. And, you know, it's fair to say that season was a season in transition, new manager, lots of new players, um, different style of football. And I think that the crowd at that time were prepared to to give the manager a bit of a pass despite the disappointment of the league place. And obviously now Liverpool are a lot further along in their development as a club and as a team. You know, I think that the one point better off this season than they were in 2012-13. Off the back of a, an incredible season last season, it's understandable that the way they've started is is very disappointing. As Chris said, I, I think that sometimes they need to be a bit more streetwise. I think despite despite the way Liverpool have played in the past, 
I think they've always been good at knowing when to go for the throat and sort of going for it, as I said, in, in sort of the last minute of the half when it's quite clear that there's a threat posed by Arsenal. I think it was almost symptomatic of, of Liverpool's problems generally this season. And they don't seem to know when to go for it, when not to go for it. And I think Jordan Henderson sort of alluded to that after the Rangers game when he said about the press and that it's not just one way of being. You've got to decide and make the decisions right when you do it and when to go. And obviously the pressing ties into when you attack and try and try and uh, score goals against the opposition when they're the most vulnerable. And at the moment, whether it's decision-making, whether it's you know the, the lack of physical ability to be able to, 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 to do it, that remains to be seen. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp will be hoping that he can get the players back in a, in a physical state where they are able to do it. I can understand the debate around, has that time been and gone? Well, it's five years, more or less, with the same team. It's bound to take a lot out of the players, largely the same players. So the, the debate is understandable. It's, it's up to the manager, I guess, to prove a fair few people wrong. You can pick positives out of the first half after a very tricky opening sort of five, ten minutes. But actually, Liverpool, you'd say, well, they never led, but perhaps they were the better of the sides for the majority of the first half. Obviously, second half, it, it, it was Arsenal, Chris. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I was quite encouraged with the way Diogo Jota linked the play, I have to say. I've been a bit, since Sadio Mane gone, one of the one of the concerns for me is Liverpool aren't getting the best out of Mohamed Salah now. Maybe his own form's dropped slightly, but I sort of look at Liverpool and I don't see the rest of the forward line linking with him as well as Mane did. If you look at a lot of the goals Mane and Salah scored between them, they created them for each other while playing on opposite sides of the pitch. Now, as good as Luis Diaz has been, and for me, he's arguably been Liverpool's best outfield player this season. Him and Salah don't have that combination yet, that relationship. I think I'm right in saying the only goal created directly by one for the other was against Man United at home last season when Salah got away down the right pretty early on and crossed for, for Diaz at the far post. So that's a concern. And when you're then trying to bring a new forward into the, the mix as well in, in Darwin Nunes, who hasn't started every game. Obviously, some of that was self-inflicted with the red card. Then, to me, essentially, you're, you're building a whole new forward line here. And at the moment, the managers are trying to work out the best way to get the most out of those players. Now, he's you know switched to this four-pronged attack at the moment with, with Jota be playing behind the front three. Whereas... In the past, well, Firmino's been that link player, hasn't he? Who, you know, arguably got a lot more out of, of Manny and Salah than perhaps another player would have done. He came on yesterday and scored again. He's got five goals at home at Anfield, I think, this season, which is probably more than the last three seasons combined. So there's five forwards there, and obviously Diaz might now be injured for a while, but what is the best combination now for Liverpool? What is the best front three? And I thought there were some encouraging signs at, at Arsenal with the way... Jota did link the play. Um, even if you even if you look at the, the second goal when Firmino comes on, it, it's Jota who's playing that pass through, like you know, a bit like he's Thiago, really, the, the type of ball he put through. We also saw for the first goal how Diaz and Nunes can link. Diaz gets across to the other side of the pitch, crosses Nunes is arriving to score. Now where where is that link coming from with Salah? Who is linking with him? Who's creating the chances for Mo? Is Mo creating enough chances for others at the moment? He has been involved in a lot of goals still this season. The, the stats will tell you that, even though he's not been as prolific. But people talk about freshening things up with Liverpool. And I think 
we're going through that process at the moment up front. I think we're seeing that. Obviously, you lose Mane, it's a massive loss. So lose a player like that who's been so integral, not just on the ball, but off it with his press, his energies, you know, his strength. He'd be streetwise. You know, we, we, we spoke about Liverpool not being streetwise and he would give away fouls and errors when he needed to and, and stuff. So I think in terms of refreshing the team, and it is, it is clear that it is going to need doing, given the age of some of the players and given the results this season. I think we're seeing the start of that. And as a result, you have to accept that results aren't always as good when you're you're rebuilding. And I think that process has started up front. An extension of that in, in midfield. Has, has Jürgen been too loyal to a certain group of players? Simon, so if we're talking Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, Ox is still there, Naby Keita. Um, is, is there excessive loyalty there? Should there be more of a refresh happening in the midfield? Yeah, I think had Liverpool been able to move in the transfer market and get the players that, or the player that they wanted this summer, they'd have done so. And it, you know, the, the midfield is the next priority area. I mean, I do, I do think that part of the conversation about where Liverpool are at the moment does relate to to that theme. You know, in terms of loyalty and and trust in a player and having and faith in a player or players that have done well for the club for for quite a long period of time. And I think this is. Touched on it in the past, but this is where I suppose Jurgen Klopp is in unfamiliar territory as a manager. When he was in his previous roles, he he by and large had the players taken away from him ahead of time. Whether that that was at Mainz or Borussia Dortmund, whereas now at Liverpool, you know he's by and large being able to keep all of his best players since Phil Coutinho left, and and um, and then obviously Sadio Mane wanted to leave Liverpool. When he when he did leave, now there might you know I believe there are good some reasonable, reasonably good reasons why he wanted to leave as well. But maybe Liverpool could have done more to keep him happy. But by and large, this is a team that the manager has to choose, or the I say the manager or the sporting director or the club has to choose when to break up. So he is in unfamiliar territory. It's it's fair to say whether we like. I mean, Jurgen Klopp's absolutely brilliant manager for Liverpool, who's turn the club's fortunes around, as he did for Borussia Dortmund. But the cold reality is he's never been in this position before, so he's being tested in a way that, that is new to him. And it was the same, you know, Bill Shankly had the same the same issue. You know, obviously we've had, we know that a lot of Liverpool fans will know the story about the difficulty that he had in 1969-70, sort of accepting that the, the players that had made Liverpool brilliant in that era, their time was up. And unfortunately, football, you know, You've got to be ruthless. Uh, The the, the big issue that Liverpool have around the discussion about losing players as well is it sort of relates back to investment, I think, because if Liverpool are seen not to be going hard in, keeping the best players regardless of their age, it then becomes a debate about, well, are the owners really serious about maintaining the success? And I remember writing an article last year about this is where... You know the, the the great managers and the the great owners or the great football clubs are separated because they know when to let go and who to keep. And at the moment, we, we spoke about Mo Salah was obviously the big one last summer that they kept. I have a bit of sympathy with them to be honest because it's obviously as Chris said that there are changes in the forward line. But I think at the start of the season, the plan was for for Trent Alexander Arnold to play a slightly different role at certain parts in the game, which meant. You know that he pushed into the central midfield areas, and Salah was operating slightly wider. I think in that process, as Liverpool's form has dipped, as the more players have become injured, 
that the transition in that has become a lot more difficult. And Salah's confidence probably lost a little bit somewhere in that in that process. I thought yesterday, I mean, whether he's playing well or not, whether he's subdued or not, if Liverpool get a penalty and he takes it, you know, he's by and large going to score that penalty. Or, you know, there's always a chance that he might score. I thought the, the decision to take him off was, was a strange one, really. I couldn't really understand that. It left Liverpool chasing the game with... With sort of Jota came off as well as Chris said. I thought the first half he was excellent. It was harder for him to affect the play when he he played on the left wing. But it just left Liverpool light up top. And I suppose when this again goes back to the discussion that Chris was mentioning at the beginning in terms of the approach in away games. Obviously, the manager decides to go with all his his attacking players from the beginning. Left Liverpool with very sort of few options off the bench as, as they were chasing the game. But yeah, I was surprised to see Salah taken off because that can only have happened maybe on maximum two or three occasions in his Liverpool career when Liverpool are obviously still trying to win a game of football and he's he's been withdrawn. I thought it was quite a quite a big decision, though. Yeah, Chris, would you go with that as well? I mean, even if he's not playing at his best, he still is arguably Liverpool's greatest threat. And of course, you've got to think as well about the impact mentally, the confidence impact on taking him off. You could, you could see, obviously, he wasn't happy about it. No, of course he wasn't. I mean, Liverpool weren't winning. He's most solid. He, you know, in his mind, he's still going for the golden boot and he's going for league titles and he's he's trying to win everything. So, of course, he'd want to stay on. I think the manager explained afterwards that, without saying it directly, he was concerned about Martinelli. He was brilliant. I thought he always plays well against Liverpool. You know, it's the type of player you wish you had at Liverpool when you, you show he plays. I think he was concerned he was potentially going to take the game away from Liverpool. So he thought putting Henderson on the right just to add some protection and hope the other attacking players could could do something was, was part of the plan. Salah worked hard as well in that role. You know, he did, he did do a lot of running. So perhaps there was a little element of fatigue there as well that came into the manager's mind. I mean, obviously... He's closer to the pitch than any of us, so you can see things perhaps that we can't. But yeah, I mean, generally, if you've got Mo Salah on your team and you need a goal, you leave him on. Like Sai said, it's very rare that he makes that substitution. He often doesn't take him off when we don't need a goal. So it's quite rare for, for Mo to come off. I think it also shows his faith in the whole squad, though. You know, he brings Harvey Elliott on for Jota. I thought Jota was actually looking tired before he came off, but at the same time, given his record against Arsenal as well, is he more likely to score than Harvey? Yes. So, should you bring him on or why not go for Fabio Carvalho, who's already proved that he can score goals coming off the bench, you know, got an important winner against Newcastle. He's a player who can get between the lines, got a little bit of creativity about him and he scores goals. So that was an option he, he decided not to use. But ultimately, you know, when Liverpool don't win games, everybody looks for reasons. You pick the bones out of a defeat more than you pick the bones out of a win. So people will look at the way Liverpool defended, the substitutions, the, the formation from the start, the team selection, everything comes under the microscope. And ultimately that's that's down to the manager's decision-making and it's for him to resolve and, and learn from things he got right and learn from things he, he got wrong. And let's not pretend he got everything right at the weekend, but he didn't get everything wrong either. And ultimately, the, you know, the injury to Diaz was probably one of the crucial turning points of the game, every bit as big as Liverpool not being awarded a clear penalty in, in the first half, which is, you know, we've not really mentioned, but it's it's utterly baffling that when you see some of the, the other decisions, Dan Byrne conceding a penalty for exactly the same thing, playing for Newcastle this weekend against Brentford, Gabriel does the same, it's not a penalty. 
Two very strange penalty calls. I mean, obviously, from the, from the Liverpool perspective, again, you're thinking that probably should be in the first half and, and the other one at the end. I don't know. I've, I've heard a, f- a couple of Liverpool fans I've spoken to saying, oh, well, you know, maybe he was on the wrong side of him. But it's very soft, isn't it, Simon? I mean, is that really a penalty, Thiago's? I'm just sick of it, Stephen. Bored of these conversations. Not, not bored of this conversation, Stephen. Bored of these conversations about decisions that referees have are making or, or people sat in a box somewhere hundreds of miles away. The first one is a penalty. His hand is high up in the air. It stops the ball from going into the box. Uh, you could say, well, the player's trying to get balance on his body according to where his leg is, but very, very odd decision, particularly when you see other decisions of a similar kind being made and penalties being given on the same weekends. I mean, at the bottom line is with all the technology, you're having football, it's still coming down to to decision-making of human beings who still make mistakes. I mean, I, I've always been sort of accepting of referees' mistakes to some degree on a pitch when you, you're under pressure, thousands of people watching you. You've got to make a split-second decision. I think that's more understandable than when you've got you know, a bit more time sitting in a in a box trying to make a decision. I can't accept that. I find that really, really frustrating, to be honest. Uh, it's not just, again, people might say, well, it's, it's just because it's affected Liverpool. It, it's sort of football generally. You'd rather have the bigger, better referees sitting remotely making, you know, decisions from away from the pitch and the ones on the pitch, because ultimately the ones on the pitch have the least amount of power really now. So, the whole thing's upside down. I think I don't like the the sort of the the impact that it has on the game. I think it has gradually got quicker over over the last couple of years. After the first year when it was it was slower, the game I think it did impact the game. But I still think we're finding very strange decisions that just nobody can understand. Uh, the, the the penalty against Liverpool. I mean, I've got to be honest. I I, I actually thought. Thiago, again, has got to be a bit smarter there. I don't think you make that challenge when you're sort of coming in from behind a little bit because it, it does give the player the opportunity to fall. It gives the, the referee a decision to make. Uh, I'd be a little bit critical of the, the, the Liverpool players' decision-making again in that process. It all it was a bit chaotic, wasn't it? Everybody's swiping at the yeah, ball. Yeah, madness. A lot of panic, a lot of panicking. Uh, I thought it was unnecessary. I think just needed one player to put the foot through it and put it out for the corner or throwing or something. Again, I think that was another sort of reflection of, of some of Liverpool's play, like straight silly decision-making. You wouldn't expect Thiago, a player of that experience, maybe to you know to take that risk, I'd say. But I, I, I don't necessarily think it was a penalty, but I just think you run the risk when you, you try and... when, when, you, make, when you make a, a tackle like that. So, yeah, a, a disappointing goal to concede, but one that... I would say it was avoidable if you make a different t- decision on the pitch. Right, James's piece is on The Athletic now. Liverpool's title hopes are extinguished. They've become their own worst enemies. That's the headline to it. Check it out at theathletic.com. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. 
In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Jürgen said afterwards the icing on the cake was the injuries. Luis Diaz, best player for Liverpool this season. His energy, his attacking nature, just everything about him has been the thing you've sort of clung on to, hasn't it? And of course, we don't know how long he'll be out. Trent got a knock. And then the news that we had before the game was was Artur as well. So three all of a sudden under the microscope, Chris. Yeah, I mean, Artur's a strange one, isn't it? The more you, you look at the signing, I mean... Seems weird to say, but I've seen Ben Davis play at Anfield more often this season than, than Artemella. <laughs> and given he was missing in action for 18 months or whatever, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, a last-minute loan signing on, on transfer deadline day is not really the Liverpool way to make those signs. They don't tend to work out very well. I think, obviously, we don't know how bad the injury is to Naby Keita. Nobody's really sure when he'll be back. The Ox, again, got injured in pre-season tends to get injuries when he back. So I think it was a reaction to that and also the injury to Curtis Jones that, you know, I believe it was regarding shin splints or something along those lines, which, as we saw from Rob Jones's Liverpool career, you're never quite sure how long that type of injury can take to recover from. So I think that was a, a reactive move, but given the amount reported that Liverpool paid in a loan fee for our thirds, a lot of money for a player who's what, played 15 minutes in a 4-1 defeat at Naples and looks like we won't see him again until sometime in 2023. So, as it stands, it's it's going to go down as a bad piece of business, that even though it's not a permanent move. On the, on the other two players, I mean, if Diaz and Alexander-Arnold are out for any length of time, they're both huge blows in their own way. said before, I honestly think Diaz has been Liverpool's best outfield player this season. Alisson, I would say, has been Liverpool's best player, which is always a concern when your goalkeeper's your best player in a particular season. The energy Diaz brings, the movement, the the shooting, he's a, he's a constant threat and a constant worry for defenders. Again, I think he, he can link up better with the rest of the forward line. I think sometimes his decision-making can be a little bit better. And the one thing that really frustrates me about him is when he arrives at the far post for, for balls that are coming in, he's always in front of the ball. Like He seems to have this knack of getting ahead of where the cross lands rather than waiting for it to come to him. Maybe he's just a little bit impetuous or he doesn't quite have that natural instinct in the six-yard box, I don't know. But if you look at a lot a lot of Liverpool goals over the last few years, somebody arrives to complete a move at the far post. Mane used to, Salah, Salah does it. I don't think Diaz does that well enough yet and I think that's an area of his game he, he can improve when, when he's back. But Liverpool are clearly going to miss him. And they'll miss Trent. And obviously people are focused on you know, Trent's defensive inadequacies this season and issues we've had. But at the same time, he's still arguably Liverpool's best playmaker in the team, particularly if Thiago isn't playing. And you can't get the same out of Joe Gomez and James Milner if they're filling in, in that role for any length of time. So I think we've got to keep our fingers crossed on them too, that, all right, if they missed the Rangers game in midweek, they missed that, they missed the City game, it's a blow. But then there's so many games coming up after this week before the World Cup. Liverpool can't afford to have too many more bad results in this period now. It's a massive, massive period and you want as many of your best players as possible 
on the pitch. And I include Andy Robertson in that. Um, I think he has been missed recently. I think Simicast is a good deputy, but hasn't played as well as he can in the last couple of games. Even, you know, the first goal yesterday came down his side and obviously gets shifted across to the other side. It was his free kick that was, wasn't brilliant for the second goal as well. Maybe Robbo would have been a little bit wiser on what to do in that free kick situation going into the, into the half-time interval. So I think you need those type of players back in the team personally to try and get back on track. So many questions. Um, look, let's let's finish the podcast on some positivity. I know that's what Simon wants to do. Um, he's, he's keen to smile for the last oh, five minutes. We're, we're going to talk about <laughs> seven years of Jurgen Klopp and seven great moments of Jurgen Klopp. You two can choose three each. I'll just start with one. Loved seeing him on the bus, of course, when the, the tour of Liverpool actually went ahead. Loved seeing him having his beers and you know with the boys as they've got the DJ at the back and there he is saying I'm at the greatest club in the world that's a real standout defining clock moment for me so Simon go on you get you give me your three and then Chris can have his three right okay I've approached this not through like sort of tactile moments like you Steve but more um just more games really <laughs> so the first sort of three games which has obviously been inspired by him because the the games don't happen without him, and that's what it all boils down to, winning football matches for me anyway. Dortmund, obviously being the first. The home and away games against Dortmund, I thought, were brilliant in 2016. A reminder of where Liverpool should be at, you know, big stadium playing. The sort of game that I'd say Chris alluded to before, where they were more careful defensively and put up a really good defensive performance and got a 1-1 draw, which set them up for the second leg, which at Anfield's... I think uh, anyone who was there will remember it, you know, as the, as the game which sort of reignited Liverpool as a serious European football club again. Brilliant night, quarter final, and uh, I just remember doing my match report that night, and I'd sort of almost concluded my, my responsibilities before they got they got a few late goals and and turned the tide. So, absolutely brilliant night, and um, I think that, as I said, I think that that really reaffirmed Liverpool as becoming. As, as being a, a club that the fans expect. Uh, ultimately, this, the season ended in disappointment with the performance in Basel, but um, I think it, it, it sort of gave people an idea of what it could be like if, if you back this manager and given the time to get the right players in. And I'll just say, go quickly through two other games. I mean, I thought the, the, the 4-3 victory over City in the, in the 2017-18 season, it, the league game, was a really important victory because that set them up for the second half of the season where... Obviously, the, the beat a team who, who I think were unbeaten at that stage of the season. And, you know, was the, the, the performance was more comprehensive than a one-goal victory, I'd, I'd say. And then that, that gave them the confidence both in the Champions League, well, certainly in the Champions League, when they played City again. That, for me, was the first big league victory that Klopp had. I know that there was lots of victories before that, but it felt like a big moment, that to me. I mean, we could talk about Barcelona like for the whole show if you want to um, <laughs> that's just an obvious one but so I, I know these aren't exactly moments but uh, you know they're, they're sort of the moments that have been inspired by managerial decisions and him sort of being able to to rouse the crowd in a certain way so there's my okay. three anyway so you, you've got three games now Chris Chris should know a lot about this because I'm allowed to say you've been writing on this as well haven't you Chris so there is yeah with uh, Reach Sport we've got um, a book called I Feel Fine coming out later this month which is basically came from a conversation for myself and a colleague Roy Guilfoyle who some older fans might remember a fanzine called Another Vintage 
Liverpool performance that Roy used to to write back of the day and we had a conversation last season when things were going brilliantly saying Do you know there must be 100 great things that have happened now on the clock mustn't there and then we started thinking about it we thought actually we could make a decent little book that so I've got 100 moments we've probably not got long enough to go through all 100 <laughs> we've only got moments. three so come on I, I, will, I will stick to three the first one for me is the press conference when Jurgen Klopp arrived as Liverpool manager um, it was weirdly in the lower well the lower Kenny Dalglish stand as, as it's called now and when he walked into that room, and it was with Ian Ur, if I remember rightly, he had just felt an aura. There was a there was a presence to me. It was like Shankly's just walked in or something. Like this this guy's done so well in Germany and in such a bad moment, and Rogers has gone and he's he's walked in, and it's almost like his presence just lit the room up. He had us all on a string right from the start. You know the whole doubter from believer quote, the calling himself the normal one when he was put on the spot, you know, Mourinho's the special one, what are you? You've got to just think of an answer. Um, so that's the moment for me. And, you know, him walking in at that time, I thought, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to suit Liverpool. The fans are going to love this guy. He's, he's going to fit the club and, and the people. The second one is another clock moment, but it was it was down to Divock Origi scoring a very late winner against Everton at, at Anfield. And Obviously, you can't quite believe the goal itself, the way Pickford's made a mess of it's come off the bar. Um, and he, he's nodded in. And he, even Divock went and grabbed the ball to get back to the halfway line because he, he thought we needed another goal, even though, even though it was 1-0. And then you look to your left and there, there's Klopp legging it onto the pitch, jumping into Alisson's arm. So, to me, to me, that was another brilliant moment. And I think the third moment, however you want, whichever particular moment you want to pick, has to be Liverpool winning the Premier League. I mean... That was the biggest reason he came in and the job he came in to do. Obviously, it was different and we weren't all there because of COVID and they, they had to lift the trophy on the cop and all the rest of it. But seeing Klopp walk up onto the cop to receive his medal from Sir Kenny Dalglish, the last Liverpool manager to win the league for Liverpool and you know the biggest icon this football club's ever had, stood on the cop. Yeah, that, that was a big moment for me. We've been spoilt in seven years. yeah. And as you say, you've got a hundred moments in the book coming out. There's so many more we could allude to. But uh, make sure you check Chris's book when it's out. A uh, hundred of the great Jurgen Klopp moments. Just wanted to finish the Red Agenda today by sending all our very best wishes, love and support to David Fairclough. Of course, the original super sub, the man who lit up Anfield in the European Cup quarterfinal in 1977 with that incredible goal which, of course, put them on the path to the final, a win over Borussia Mönchengladbach in a first European Cup. But David hasn't been well. Um, he's had a stroke, but he is recovering. Spoken to his son, Tom. He's a great friend of ours. And, David, if you are listening, the very best wishes to you for a speedy recovery. We hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. hope you enjoyed it. Red Agenda will be back ahead of the weekend. We'll see you then.